Hey, good morning. Good to see all of you this morning. Before I begin the message this morning, just a reminder, we're encouraging all of you to help us out to get in that facility and to be able to furnish it. So we're having uh, July 21st on Saturday, uh, that fundraiser, and we would love for you to be able to be there. If you're planning on being there, and we hope that you will, we encourage you to purchase your tickets as quickly as possible. Um, we need to start getting an idea of how many folks are going to be at that event uh, because it's obviously a catered dinner and all of that. It's going to be a wonderful evening. And if you're thinking about inviting friends and family and whatever to come with you and be a part of that night, and we hope that you are, then obviously you need to start asking them about attending and all of that. So anyway, we just wanted to encourage you with that because we've only got a few weeks left. Uh, it's hard to believe, but next Sunday, we're into July. So uh, time is going by quickly. And so uh, we've only got a few weeks left till, uh, till July the 21st. Well, again, as we continue our uh, Sunday morning series on the Holy Spirit, I'd like to start out this morning by having you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, this is going to be our jumping off point this morning for the message. And let me just set up where we're going to be. I'd, I'd like you to uh, maybe begin with me in verse 22 of 1 Corinthians 14. And let me again just sort of set up what's happening here. This is a couple chapters where Paul is talking to the Corinthian believers about the use of gifts in the local assembly. And the reason he's talking about this is he's saying, you all have the power through the Holy Spirit to create an environment, to create an atmosphere in your church so that when people from the outside hear Paul is saying it could be an unbeliever, somebody that's never even trusted Christ as their Savior, but they walk through the door of your church that Sunday. It could be what Paul calls an unbeliever informed person. Um, I guess a way to sort of illustrate that would be, and this is the way we in ministry talk about folks like this, uh, are seeing ears. Uh, the people that only come on Christmas and Easter. Okay? And yet, when they walk through the door, are they going to get a certain impression? It may also be even a first-time visitor. Somebody that's never been at your church before, but they walk in and Paul says, wouldn't it be great if when everybody that came through your doors from the person that's been there since day one to the brand new person to even again, someone that doesn't even know God, if they knew and they could literally sense and feel that God was there. Well, listen to what Paul says. He says in verse 22 of 1 Corinthians 14, so then tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, or the telling forth of God's message, however, is not for unbelievers, but for believers. So if the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues, and unbelievers or uninformed people enter, will they not say that you have lost your minds? Well, they probably would anyway. <laughs> at least here at the Oasis. <laughs> the pastor's a little strange. But... 
If all prophesy and an unbeliever or uninformed person enters, he will be convicted by all. He will be called to account by all. The secret of his heart are disclosed. And in this way, he will fall down with his face to the ground and worship God, declaring God is really among you. Literally, God is here. I mean, you get what Paul's saying. He's saying that a, a group of believers by the way they operate, by what their priorities are, by the way they come in even to a room, no matter what that room is, that you and I have the power through the Holy Spirit to create an atmosphere and an environment where no matter who comes in and enters those doors, they can say, God is here. I might not even know God yet, but I know that He's here. He is really among you. He is in your midst. Wow, what a testimony. And the reason Paul's saying this is because at this point in the church of Corinth, that wasn't the case. Just like it's not always the case every Christian home you walk into, can you tell in a plain, evident, clear way that God's there? You can't tell in every life of a Christian plainly, evidently, clearly that God is there. Sometimes you got to look pretty hard. Sometimes you got to look pretty deep. Sometimes it's like, I'm not sure if God is in their life. I'm not sure God is in their home. And I'm not even sure that God is in many churches. But He can be. And He wants to be. And what we want to talk this morning about is how then can you and I Be the type of people, be the church, where no matter who walks through our doors, whether they are an unbeliever who have not yet even trusted in Christ, or whether they are a visitor, or even someone that maybe we would say hasn't been around church very much, yet when they walk through the doors of our church, they can say, as well as Paul here, God is really among those people. He is here. Well, the first way that you and I can demonstrate that God is amongst us is by our love for one another. Let me take you to Colossians for just a moment before we jump into the passages we're going to be looking at a little bit more. Colossians chapter 1, verse 8. In fact, in the book of Colossians, this is the only time that the Holy Spirit is mentioned in the entire book of Colossians. And in Colossians 1, 8, Paul says he's commending the church at Colossae because he says, Epaphras, uh, one of your own, has told us, verse 8, of your love in the Spirit. The word love there. Agapao, we would say agape love, is divine love. It is supernatural, selfless, sacrificial. It is the kind of love that only those who are empowered and enabled by the Holy Spirit of God can love at that level. In other words, Paul is saying to the church at Colossae, you realize that your supernatural love for one another is coming from a supernatural source. You and I can't love each other in a agapao way apart from the Holy Spirit. And yet it is an evidence 
that God obviously is here amongst us in the presence and person of the Holy Spirit of God. When you and I learn to love one another as a community of believers through the Spirit or in the Spirit. Go with me now to 1 Thessalonians and let's look at chapter 4 and verse 9. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 9. Paul says, Now on the topic of brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. First of all, He starts out by telling them, we don't even have to really teach you or talk to you always about even brotherly love. By the way, brotherly love is not as high a love as agapao love, agape love. Brotherly love, the word here is obviously the word Greek word Philadelphia, where the city back east is named after. And if you're like me and you grew up on the East Coast and I grew up somewhat near Philadelphia, you know that the nickname for Philadelphia was not the city of brotherly love. It was the city of brotherly shove. Now, Paul noticed, though, he's saying You don't even have to. It's not that it's not important to be taught about brotherly love. It's not that God doesn't call pastors to teach about brotherly love. But he's simply saying to the church at Thessalonica, it's not absolutely necessary. Why? Because he says, if you have the Holy Spirit in you, then you innately, intuitively know through his teaching ministry from within you, you know you should love each other at a brotherly level, if you will. And to love one another that way means to have a devotion and affection for one another. In other words, Paul says, that's that's the very least that should be happening in a local assembly amongst Christians is that there should be at least a demonstration of devotion to one another and affection for one another. He said, and the Holy Spirit is teaching you about that. You see, that's who he's talking about here when he says, you have no need for anyone to write because you yourselves are taught by God. Well, who's the God who's teaching us? Well, it's not that God the Father can't teach us. It's not that God... You know, the son, Jesus can't teach us, but the role that the Holy Spirit plays in believers lives is that of the ultimate teacher. It's not that, again, we don't need human teachers, but even in that sense, our ultimate teacher is never to be a human being. Our ultimate teacher and guide into truth is to be the Holy Spirit. And even when God is using a human teacher, it is only when that teacher is in cooperation and partnership with the Spirit should we listen to those teachers. So ultimately, the Holy Spirit is our teacher. And again, go to verses uh, in the Gospel of John, chapter 14, chapter 16, where Jesus talks about this. He says, but the Spirit of truth... When he comes, he will guide you into all truth. So who's our teacher? The Holy Spirit. That's his ministry. That's one of his primary ministries in our life is he teaches us from within ourselves. 
Then Jesus said about the Holy Spirit, he says, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. First John chapter 2, John says, you and I as believers in Jesus Christ have an anointing. Now, there are some of us who have an anointing, meaning we have a special calling on our life to be in full-time ministry. But, Paul, but John says, every Christian has an anointing from God. And what is that anointing? It is the Holy Spirit who resides in us, John says in 1 John 2.27, who is teaching us all the time. That's our anointing. In other words, we have an anointed teacher who lives within us all the time. So God is always teaching us through his indwelling Holy Spirit. So the question is not, I'm not getting taught anything by God. Now, obviously, too, we have the responsibility of placing ourselves, to me, uh, in, you know, places where we can be taught by human teachers who are anointed by God as well. But ultimately, God is saying, I teach you through the Holy Spirit every day. The question is not, you're not getting taught. The question is, are you teachable? Are you listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit as he's teaching you? And then back to 1 Thessalonians 4 then, Paul is saying, you don't even have any need for me to teach you about even your devotion and affection for one another. That brotherly love type of love. Because the Holy Spirit starts there. But that's not where he wants to finish. Notice in 1 Thessalonians 4, 9, he says, now on the topic of brotherly love, that's the word Philadelphia, you have no need for anyone to write you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. That second word there, love, is not Philadelphia, that's the word agapao, agape love, supernatural, selfish, or selfless, sacrificial love that can only happen through the empowerment or enablement of the Spirit. So he's saying to us, here's how people who even come in from outside can know that God is among you because of your love that you have for one another. Didn't Jesus say that? In John 13, 34 and 35, he says to his followers, a new commandment I give you that you should love one another. Now, the command to love one another has been around since the beginning. So how is this new? Jesus goes on to say, just as I have loved you, you love one another. In other words, the newness is in the fact that Jesus is saying, you have seen how I fleshed out love. Here's the standard now. Not just hearing the word, love one another. Now you have me as a pattern, as a model, as an example. So Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you, love one another. Just as I have loved you, love one another. And then he goes on to say in verse 35, and by this kind of love, all men, not just Christians, all men will know that you are what? My disciples. The distinctive mark of believers in Jesus Christ, of followers, the distinctive mark that God is here, He's amongst us, has to start with love. Love. If people come into our church 
and they don't sense that there is a love for one another, much less a love for God. And by the way, how can we say, John says, we love God whom we've not seen if we're not loving those that we do see? John says, how can I say I love God and hate my brother or sister in Christ? It is incompatible. So, so the Word of God is saying, how can someone come into our church or any church and say, I can sense that God is there if they don't sense that we are loving one another as we should? You see, it is that supernatural love that is going to set us apart and distinguish us just as it does in our own lives, in our homes, everywhere we go. What's going to tell people God is in them? It is the fact that we love one another. In fact, Paul said to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 13, he says, we can live our whole lives, but if we're not loving and being loved, he says, we're nothing. Our life is going to end up being nothing apart from love. Wow. You know, here's the thing. As Christians, we've heard we should love one another since the beginning. But my goodness, are we really actively doing it? Are we really expressing it? Are, are we really putting that into action? Because in 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7, when you look at the character of love that Paul paints there, it's about doing, not just saying. It's about being something to someone else. And it's about receiving that love as well, you see. And Paul says, you and I could live our lives up to the hill. We could do this and that. But he says, if we're not living a life that is demonstrating love, he says, we're nothing. And one of the awesome things, though, Paul goes on to say in 1 Corinthians 13, he says, love endures. Love lasts. Real love never ends. So you get what Paul's saying. He says, faith, hope, and love, these three abide, but the greatest of these is love. And Paul then is saying to us, you realize that every time you and I truly love others, that's something that will last for all eternity. That's something that will never end. That's something that you and I can carry on into eternity. And, and let me say something that I truly believe. I believe that one of the reasons why God... <laughs> calls us to being into churches and community of believers is because this is our laboratory for putting our Christianity into in, practice. That's also where the home is a laboratory. God calls us to be part of something just beyond ourselves because God says, I've told you now these things, but I've got to surround you with other people so that you can start putting it into practice every day. And I believe that when you and I do it well here, it will carry over into those relationships throughout eternity. See, this might scare some of you, but it makes me very happy and glad. But I think that if you and I at the Oasis can catch this, and we truly can be a church of love and building relationships of love with one another, that that's going to carry over. And once we get to heaven, all of us, we're going to be able to just pick right back up with those relationships. You're not going to get away from me. I'm going to be there. I'll be knocking on your prepared place. Hey, let's hang out. 
And then he goes on to say this. Notice this. He says, and indeed, verse 10, you are practicing it toward the brothers and sisters in all of Macedonia. This word practicing here is a very important word. Because it reminds us that our love life, if you will, the way we love is not to be just simply, well, I'm choosing to love here, but, you know, it's sort of like we look at it as just acts that we do every so often. No, no. It needs to be something that is a habit, that, that becomes the norm. In fact, the word practice here describes something done so consistently that it establishes a normal condition and not an exception. In other words, he's saying, just like when we practice something in life, we become more proficient at it. And it becomes then more the norm that we live at that level rather than the exception. Paul is saying to believers, you realize now what I'm saying. He's saying, you all can practice this love amongst yourselves so consistently that the church becomes an environment and an atmosphere where that's the norm. The, The norm is not, well... We only love occasionally. We only love every so often. Our love is inconsistent, but it's there. It pops its head up every once in a while. No, no, just the opposite. That this supernatural, selfless, sacrificial love is the norm. It's It's the way we normally treat one another. And then when we don't treat each other that way, that's the exception. And Paul says, When you and I truly understand love, we will never come to a place in our life where we think we've arrived in love either. Because notice what he says in verse 11, or excuse me, at the end of verse 10. He says, but we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more. You're not there yet, even though you're practicing it. You're not there yet, even though you've established an environment and an atmosphere where that's the norm, loving each other in an agapao way. No, he says, I want you to superabound. I, I want your love to just overflow. I-, I want it to be just so thick that people are like, ooh, you guys really love each other. You know. But why is Paul saying this? For the same reason he talked to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 14, where we started this morning. So that when people come into our assembly, they're rocked by the fact that there's something different about this group of people than other groups of people that I'm around. That there's something distinctive there. God is amongst them. And I sense that and see that in the love that they have for one another. That's where it starts, but that's not where it ends. I want to also talk to you about joy in the Holy Spirit. Turn back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 this morning. Love, joy, and peace. That's what we're going to be talking about this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm going to pick it up in verse 4. Paul says, We know, brothers and sisters, loved by God that He has chosen you, and that our gospel did not come to you merely in words alone, but in power or with power through the agency of the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction. Surely you recall the character we displayed when we came among you to help you. Now notice verse 6. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord when you received the message with joy that comes from the Holy Spirit despite Great affliction. Paul says, 
We have a supernatural message, a powerful message. And when people open up themselves to that supernatural, powerful message, change takes place. Transformation takes place. You became something that you weren't before by embracing and welcoming the message of God into your lives. And Paul says, here's the evidence. That you receive that message with joy. What is joy? Joy is simply a deep down sense of well-being. That's what joy is. It's not happiness. Happiness is circumstantially based. Joy is something that has nothing to do with our circumstances. It is something that is totally above our circumstances and unaffected by our circumstances. And that's why God wants to plant his joy through the Holy Spirit in our lives. Because you'll notice that's what Paul says. Just like love cannot happen apart from the power of the Holy Spirit, neither can we enjoy and experience joy apart from the Holy Spirit. He says... Joy that comes from the Holy Spirit, that is inspired by the Holy Spirit. So many people today want joy in their life, but they don't want anything to do with the Holy Spirit. And Paul's saying, you you can't have it that way. If you want to experience the deep down sense of well-being that cannot be affected by the circumstances of life, then he says, get in touch and tune with the Holy Spirit of God. Let him inspire that joy. Because obviously we've already seen in the book of Galatians, again, love, joy, peace. What are they? They're the first three fruits of the Spirit. The first three, love, joy, peace. And notice what Paul says. He says, we saw that you received the message with joy in spite of the affliction that you were going through. This word affliction is a very, again, cool and important word in the New Testament. It's a word that speaks about enduring, mounting, intense pressure. Think of being squeezed. Think of even being crushed. It was a word that was used uh, when they tried to extract the, the oil from olives or the wine from grapes. And you and I all know what it's like to experience great affliction. And notice something. Paul doesn't say, and when you became a Christian, all your affliction was gone. You'll never have to experience affliction ever again when you become a follower of Christ. No. In fact, Paul is telling us here and many other places in the New Testament that sometimes becoming a Christian, becoming a follower of Christ actually accentuates the pressure. It actually, it actually brings on the squeezing, if you will, and the crushing. And just like, say, fruit, if the joy is really there on the inside, then when you squeeze the fruit, the juice comes out. What's really on the inside comes out. Paul's saying, we could tell that you were genuine, sincere believers, that this change, this supernatural change really took place because you were going through all the pressure. It was coming against you. It was squeezing you. It was crushing you. And guess what we saw? All we saw was your joy in the Lord. I have the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Folks, I haven't sang that for... See, I'm 50. I'm going to say over 50 years. And yet that song just, that was one of the first songs I learned in Sunday school. 
But that's so true. Because when the joy of God is in our heart, it doesn't matter. That joy is going to be produced because we have this deep sense of well-being. And why do we have that? Because we understand through the Holy Spirit that what really matters cannot change or be taken away from me. We could lose anything, you know, of earth, and yet we've still got the most important thing, God, because God can't be taken away from us. And even... If the worst thing happens and they somehow something happens to me and I die, guess what? I go to be with Jesus. And Paul said, that's better than anything that I could ever experience here on earth. So what can they really do to me? What can anyone do to me? I can truly have joy no matter what's going on. That, that's why you know Christians whenever, and, and this, can I say this? This is why many times God even allows affliction to come into our lives as Christians. Because a mature believer won't go, why God are you allowing this affliction in my life? It will be, God, you're trying to put the, you're trying to, or you're allowing this squeeze, this crushing to go into my life so that the, the juice of the Holy Spirit and the fruit of the Holy Spirit and that joy that's inside of me can be seen by others so that they can know God is in them. God is here. And I know many of you are going through a season right now in your life where you are, you are dealing with great affliction. You're being squeezed. The pressure is mounting in your life. You feel like you're being crushed like a grape. And God wants to show others, but you've got joy inside of you, but it only can come through the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Show people. That you're good no matter what happens to you because you have a relationship with God and nothing can change that. You are a saved, blood-bought, forgiven child of God on their way to heaven. There is nothing that can touch you and take away from you what really matters in life. Show them your joy. And when you and I, especially when we're being afflicted, demonstrate joy, then people go, something's up here. God, God is at work. God is here. God is amongst these people. But there's one more. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Peace. Look at verse 23 in the context here. Paul says, now may the God of peace himself Oh, I love that. By the way, in the Greek text, the words that start the sentence are always emphasized. And so in this Greek New Testament, verse 23, the first word in the Greek New Testament is himself. <laughs> it is only through God. He is the only source and giver of true, real peace. People today are trying to find peace through a pill. Can't happen. People today are trying to find peace through a syringe. Can't happen. People today are trying to find peace in this activity and that activity. And God is clearly saying, I'm the only source and giver of real true peace. You want peace? You got to see me. You got to be in touch with me. By the way, what is peace? Peace, biblical definition, a mind and heart at rest. That's peace. 
You know, today what we see, even amongst Christians, we don't see minds and hearts at rest. We see minds and hearts that are restless. (laughs) We see minds and hearts that are raging. We see minds and hearts that are racing. But it's only through God, the God of peace, that you and I can have a mind and heart that is totally at rest. How can that be? Because God, the giver and source of peace, allows us to always then carry with us this conscious awareness of His sufficiency. In other words, it doesn't matter what I have to face in life. God's got this. God is sufficient. And therefore, I don't need to worry and fret and be anxious and troubled about all these things. Because I know I got God. And with me and God, we can handle anything. So therefore, my mind and my heart can always be at rest in God. And in the context here... I don't think it's any accident. I want you to look at me beginning in verse 16. Here's some real specific ways that you and I can enjoy the peace of God if we will put these things into practice because the God of peace will work through these things. First of all, verse 16, always rejoice. Going back to joy. Secondly, constantly pray. Three, in everything, give thanks for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And then here, this is the one I want to talk about this morning in connection with our Holy Spirit. Do not extinguish the Spirit. Oh, wow. What's that mean? Well, first of all, one of the emblems or symbols of the Holy Spirit in the Bible is a fire. So think about that here in this context. That's why the word extinguish is a really good translation of the Greek word. He's basically telling them, you're already doing this, stop it. That's the language here. In other words, he's not telling them something to prevent them from starting to do something. They're already doing it. They're already extinguishing the Spirit. So Paul is saying these things to the Thessalonian church. Stop putting out the Spirit's fire. Stop stifling or hindering the activity of the Spirit. Stop suppressing Him in any way. Stop preventing Him from exerting His full influence in your life and in the life of your church. Stop it! The Holy Spirit wants to come and set you all on fire for God. Don't keep putting water on the fire of the Spirit. Let Him do what He wants to do. He wants to light us up and make us a lighthouse. And so often we're tramping out the fire that God wants to burn in our lives. We're trying to suppress the Spirit of God. In fact, let me say this. When you and I extinguish the Spirit, we will not experience the peace of God. Because in a sense then, we're in a wrestling match with the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit saying, do this or don't do this. And we're, nope, nope. In fact, let me say this. One of the ways that you and I can very practically extinguish the Spirit is by delaying our response to the moving of the Spirit. 
See, some of you even here today, the Spirit is moving right now. And you're starting to, you're starting to have a dialogue with God. And it's probably going to go something like this. God, I'll, I'll make that decision sometime this week. God, the next time I have a convenient season, I'll, I'll do that. Tomorrow, God, I promise, tomorrow I'll get up and I'll make that choice then. Can I tell you, when you and I do that, when we have those kind of, you know, excuses or I'm going to put it off for another day, that's extinguishing the Spirit. Why? Because the Bible clearly says, today, if you hear the Spirit's voice, do not harden your heart. Today. In fact, multiple times in the book of Hebrews, the author of Hebrews says this is exactly why the children of Israel wandered in the desert for 40 years and never got into the promised land because when they heard the Spirit speaking to them, when they, when they felt the Spirit moving within them, they, some other time, God, some other time. No, no, no. God says today, I have you right now at the place where, you know, you need to make some kind of choice in your life. You need to make some kind of decision in your life. I am leading you to this point. Now, don't leave here today without sealing the deal with God. Or else you will have practiced extinguishing the Spirit by delaying your response to what the Spirit wants to do in your life. When the Spirit works like this, the Spirit brings us to a point where He says... Make it or no. But don't, don't guarantee I'm going to be able to bring you back to that place tomorrow. Don't count on me being able to bring you back to that place next Sunday or a month from now. Or even, and even look at it this way. How can we presume upon God to know whether we're even going to be here next Sunday or not? God is saying through His Spirit, today, if the Spirit of God is speaking to you, do not harden your heart. Let's stand and close in prayer. Today we have talked about love, joy, and peace found in the Holy Spirit of God. Things that the world looks for, but they look for those things outside of God Himself. The only one that is the giver and source of love, joy, and peace. I pray today that we would all commit ourselves to being a group of people, individuals first, but then a group of people, that when people start to walk through the doors of our church, not only here at Basha, but even when we get to our own building over there, that the spiritual atmosphere of our church will not change or diminish in any way. In fact, hopefully it will get stronger Hopefully the fire of the Holy Spirit will burn more intense and more bright as the days and weeks and months go on until Jesus comes. And that we will be a group of people that when people come into our midst, like the person in 1 Corinthians 14, they will say, God is here. God is really amongst them. So God, I know today that your spirit is moving. 
And I pray that whatever you are leading these folks to do, that God, we won't put the fire of your spirit out in our lives and in the life of our church. That we will be open to wherever you lead us, God. Go with us as we sing about our Holy Spirit today, our divine guide and teacher. And whatever the Holy Spirit is leading, you just be obedient.